minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Yes, it's a wonderful day. And next week, the Anarchist World will be broadcast live. That's right on the Community Radio Network, but in the last Wednesday in December and the first Wednesday in January, I normally disappear up to the uh, planet I come from. That's not planet Earth, obviously, And uh, I, but we will have pre-recorded programs. I've got uh, plans for a program on the importance of Eureka and also a program on the Tanaminawe Morbohina campaign and the uh, commemoration which will be holding in Melbourne on the 20th of January to launch uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders Freedom Fighters Day on the 20th of January. But uh, that's another issue which I'll canvas in the program later on. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, an Anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power, that's direct principles. The people involved in decision make that decisions and appoint or elect delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why? Because the word anarchy comes from the Greek anarchos, which means without rulers. Not without leaders, without rulers. What gives rulers power? Inequalities in power hierarchical structures which give them the ability to manipulate you know, millions if not hundreds of millions of people and the fact that they have wealth concentrated in their hands. So if you want to have an egalitarian community, a community without rulers where everybody is able to develop themselves to their fullest extent in society and have their basic human needs met while you need to devolve power, break down hierarchy and hold wealth in common. Simple concepts, you don't need a doctorate to understand these concepts. Simple concepts, which people have been struggling for since time immemorial. Irrespective of what label is put on the uh, particular ideas, but that's what it is. Very simple. If you're not interested, move on, move on. Life is too short to waste listening to me if you're not interested in these ideas. If you're interested in these ideas, well, continue listening. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say, what's important is whether you become active, whether you stop being a cringing, complaining consumer and become an active...
active citizens with rights and responsibilities. All right, I'm going to, I know you love numbers. You know, this Bitcoin bubble they're all talking about. I wouldn't even know what a bloody Bitcoin is, let alone have one. But I'm going to throw some numbers at you. And then we're going to do a little bit of uh, lateral thinking. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. 2,500. All right? Keep that number in your your head. 2,500. Now, don't get excited. The next number I'm going to throw at you is 600,000. 600,000. And the next number I'm going to throw at you, it's even bigger. 1 million. 1 million, a seven-figure number. Then, then it gets better. Two million. And then four million. Now, what am I talking about? Am I talking about dollars? No. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about refugees. Australia has imprisoned and exiled two and a half thousand people for has having the audacity to seek political asylum in this country. And most of them have been proven to be worthy of political asylum. But because they came in a boat after an arbitrary date, they are being collectively punished to stop, theoretically, other boats coming to this country. All right? That's two and a half thousand. We're a rich country, all right? Obviously, there's a lot of poverty in this country, and that's because not because we don't have wealth, but because of inequalities which exist in the society. So we are a relatively rich country. We could absorb two and a half thousand people tomorrow, and we wouldn't even notice it. Currently, as I speak, in Uganda, over a million... That's right, one million refugees have have, um, crossed the border from southern to Sudan, which is in the midst of a brutal civil war, into Uganda. So what did the Ugandan government do and the Ugandan people do? Did they close the borders? No. They let people flow into Uganda. Did they put them in concentration camps? No. They're assisting them to relocate while the civil war continues in South Sudan. That's one million. Now, Uganda is not a rich country. It is not a rich first world country, unlike us. And we love to think of ourselves as a rich, you know, first world country. It's a poor country. Now, let's move across to Bangladesh. 600,000, that's the key word, 600,000, not 2,500, 600,000 Rohingya refugees have fleed across the border into Bangladesh. Did the Bangladeshi government put machine gas nests and mow them down as they crossed the border? No. Has the Bangladeshi government attempted to disperse them? No. Now, Bangladesh is one of the poorest countries on the planet, although economically things have improved there in the last decade or so. 
So they've seen it as their responsibility to take in these 600,000 refugees. All right, let's move on. Lebanon. Now, Lebanon has more refugees in that country in terms of percentage of population than any other country in the world. 40% of Lebanon's current population are refugees from the various conflicts which are occurring and have occurred in the Middle East. Palestinians have made their home in Lebanon, in some cases for over 60,000 years. Are they shunted offshore? No. They're incorporated into that country. Obviously they've got issues. When you've got a population of 3 million people in a country about you know, half the size of Tasmania and, you've, and you're asked to absorb another 1.5 million to 2 million people, you're going to have issues. And then we go to Pakistan and the conflict in Afghanistan. At one stage, over 4 million Afghanis had crossed the border into Pakistan to flee the death and destruction which was occurring in Afghanistan. So think about it. We have 2,500 people, which we're responsible for, although we think you know, we can wash our hands you know, of that responsibility by putting them in some developing nation and paying some of the bills. For five years, these people have been tortured. And the great thing about this policy is it is supported by a significant number of Australians. They don't believe these people are political asylum. They don't believe these people are seeking political asylum. They don't believe these people are refugees. They just think they've just come here to, you know, come for the good life. What good life when you look at it? So I'm just throwing figures around. It's nearly the festive season. It's nearly Christmas. It's nearly the end of 2017 in the Georgian calendar. I'm just throwing figures around just to show you what type of nation we are. And I'm not blaming the government because this policy could be changed tomorrow if we didn't have significant sections of the Australian community and almost all the Australian media, you know, supporting what's happening on Manus Island and Nauru. End of story. Leave it up to you. Think about it as you tuck into your Christmas turkey, you know, your roast potatoes, your ham, your prawns, your cherries. Oh, my mouth is watering. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, today we have a rally. In Melbourne, on Wednesday, December the 13th. And it's a celebration. It's a celebration of 14 months of constant political activity. It's a celebration of the struggle to both defend and extend public housing in Victoria, a state that has less public housing than any other state in this country. It's a celebration of the fact that we have been able to temporarily derail the attempts of the Andrews-led Labor government, you know, Mr Andrews, the head of the ALP, the Alternative Liberal Party in Victoria, to privatise what's left of the public housing sector. And we have had significant victories this year because this campaign was launched in October 
2016. And many people thought we were wasting our time. Many people think that government legislation is set in concrete. And many people laughed at us and said, why are you wasting your time on this issue? You know, the community and social housing sector are going to take over and it's going to be wonderful for everybody. Well, we said, we don't care what you think. Public housing should be government-owned, government-run, and it should be extended. It shouldn't be handed over to the private sector, whether it's for profit or not for profit. Because once you put it into the private sector... The competitive forces which occur in the private sector change the nature of that housing. So we, we started this campaign on the back foot. The, the Andrews-led Labor government and Mr Martin Foley, the Minister for Housing, believed they had control of this campaign to privatise public housing, to enter into public-private partnerships to redevelop segments of the public housing sector in Victoria. They felt they'd found the key to Nirvana when they set aside a billion dollars to assist, billion dollar guarantee to assist the community and social housing sector to expand their little empires. There was dancing in the streets and we were looked at as some type of garbage, fools, lunatics, people who are trying to stop the tide, the King Canutes of the 21st century. Because as far as they're concerned, nothing can stop the corporatisation, deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, tsunami, which has been swept across this country in the last 40 years. They felt scorn for us. They attempted to isolate us. They attempted to say we were insignificant. Well, 12 months later, we celebrate. And I'll tell you what we're celebrating. And I encourage you to join us at the rally on Wednesday, the 13th of December, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House at midday, sharp. We'll be there to about 1, possibly 1.30, depending on the number of people who turn up. It's a party. Bring drinks, bring food. It's a party, it's a celebration. And I tell you why it's a celebration. We have four victories, not one, four victories to celebrate. The first victory is because of the public pressure that's been applied to the alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Australian Labor Party in the Victorian Parliament the transfer of titles to private organisations has temporarily stopped. It's stopped in its tracks. Two, the transfer of management of the public housing sector into the hands of the private sector has been slowed down considerably. Three, because of constant political pressure, which was based on the concept of supporting the Victorian Greens, because they are the only major political party in the Victorian Parliament that supports 
not just the protection but the extension of public housing. And the policy was very simple. The strategy we, f- we followed was exceptionally simple. And it was to see the Victorian Greens hold the balance of power at the next state election on the 24th of November 2018. And if they hold, held the balance of power in Parliament, they would then be able to negotiate about forming a coalition or an association with one of the other major parties on the terms of both defending and extending the public housing sector. And that strategy happened because at the Northcote by-election, the Greens' candidate, Lydia Fork, who I supported and directed preferences to as a candidate at the Northcote by-election, won that seat. And that has reduced reduced the ALP's majority in the House of Assembly to one and they don't have actually have a majority in the Legislative Council. And if the Liberal Party continues on its self-destructive policy of not standing candidates in inner-city seats at the next state election on the 24th of November, it is highly likely the Victorian Greens will have five, possibly six members in the lower house, which will give them the block they need in order to determine who shall govern, but more importantly, what policies they demand in return for that parliamentary support over the next four years from 2018 to 2022. So that strategy has worked. But we're not celebrating that. What we're celebrating is that because of direct pressure on Parliament and we have this campaign, it's not just about a rally every month. It's not just about you know speaking to the converted. It's about putting pressure on the 88 members of the Legislative Assembly and the 40 members of the Legislative Council to take the issue of public housing seriously. And why should we take the issue of public housing seriously? It's very simple. You know, it's the old mixed economy argument. You've got a private sector, which is no competition. You form cartels. We saw it in the electricity sector, the gas sector, the housing sector, the banking sector, the financial sector. You've got a mixed economy where both uh, publicly owned assets and private assets compete in an open marketplace. Having a strong public uh, sector dampens the ability of the private sector to exploit people ad nauseum. So a strong public housing sector would lead to, and we know this, it's simple, it would lead to decreased rents. Because if you've got a lot of people in the public housing sector, You don't need, not as many are in the private sector, so rents would decrease. Supply and demand, you know, the central tenet of capitalism. It's funny, I'm projecting that today. It's funny, it's a bit oxymoronic when you think about it. But that's the way it is, supply and demand. A strong public housing sector, fewer people renting the private sector, all those investors who are relying on negative gearing and capital gains, Tut, 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 they'll have to sell their homes because they can't meet their financial obligations, you know, their investment properties, I should say. And guess what? Property prices drop at the lower end of the market. Simple. So what have you achieved? Now, the Liberal National Party in Victoria is not interested in public housing. They would do what the Labor Party is trying to do. But in an attempt, you know, to outflank 
and outmaneuver their Labor Party opponents. They've thrown their support behind this campaign and the Victorian Legislative Council is holding an inquiry into the Victorian government's current plans to redevelop public housing via the private sector. Beautiful. You say it's just an inquiry. Well, defend and extend public housing, put in a submission to the inquiry. It may be just an inquiry, but more importantly, what it does, it slows the government plans to privatise public housing. And last but not least, on the 17th of November 2017, one day before the Northcote by-election, which was on the 18th of November, guess what? The Legislative Council, the Victorian Legislative Council, blocked the ALP government's housing renewal program on the Ashwood Estate. This has been a very controversial program for some time. And what that means is they now have the numbers to block every redevelopment of public housing in this state. So we will celebrate that. So if the Australian Labor Party, Alternative Liberal Party, thinks we're going to go away, we are not going away. And if they think they can ignore us as part of this process, well, they can't ignore us. If they want to enter into negotiations regarding public housing, we're quite happy to talk to them, quite happy to give them our ideas. And our main idea is so simple that even... I understand it. And that's saying something. You know, as the Victorian ALP builds roads here, gives Transurban, you know, the power to make billions of dollars to build a little tunnel under the river and does this and puts up these railway lines above the ground, it just goes on and on. They've forgotten the most fundamental issue, and that is housing. Forgotten it turn their back on it. They think that if they're going to get rid of level crossings and make some tunnels and do a few more roads and improve public transport, they're going to get re-elected. Well, it don't happen that way. So they're under a lot of pressure. We need to continue to apply that pressure in the new year. And we will continue to defend and extend public housing rallies on the steps of Parliament House. We will continue to negotiate with members of the lower house and the upper house regarding public housing. We will continue to put direct pressure on the housing minister, Mr Foley, until he abandons and until Cabinet abandons their current public housing policies and replaces them with something which is which will both extend public housing as well as protect what's left. And our principal demand, we have one demand, One principal demand, because we've won every other demand. We have one demand left. And that demand is that every dollar that is collected from stamp duty on the sale of property in Victoria is directed into defending and extending public housing. Last financial year, over six billion. That's right, billion. Not million. $6 Six billion, that's $6,000 million, was collected 
from stamp duty. Now, look, my maths is terrible, you know that. But even I can work this out. If you have $6 billion, which goes into public housing every year, if you allocate $1 billion for repairs and management, you've got $5 billion left. With $5 billion, you could actually spot purchase. You don't have to build new monstrosities. You can spot purchase throughout communities in regional Victoria, out of Melbourne, inner Melbourne. You could spot purchase anywhere between sixty to 70,000 new public housing, you know, uh, lodgings or whatever you like to call them, units, houses, every year. So you could, within six months, eradicate the public housing waiting list, which has now been integrated into the community and social housing waiting list. Within a year, you could house up to 100,000 people in public housing. Within a decade, if you follow the same principles and policies, you could house a million people, 20% of Victoria's population in public housing. So think about it. These are not revolutionary ideas, and this is what really makes me annoyed. Here I am, in the twilight years of my life, and I'm pushing reforms instead of revolutionary change because there's nobody out there, as you know, that is willing to jump on the radical reform bandwagon. And if we don't push reform, nobody else is going to push that reform agenda. So I encourage you to do a number of things. If you know, you've got kids or grandkids who are having trouble getting to the housing sector, whether it's public housing, private housing, you want to make sure they've got a roof over their heads. You want to make sure when you're old, if you haven't been able to buy a house at exorbitant prices, you've got a roof over your head. Well, you get involved in the Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign. Join us on this rally, Wednesday the 13th of uh, December, midday sharp, steps of Parliament House. We finish by 1 to 1.30. Join us. Go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. You know, email, write, knock on the door, office door of your local state member of parliament and say, what are you doing about public housing? What are your public housing policies? You know, I'm mobilising people around this issue and, uh, you know, and um, if I don't get a, if I don't get a, an answer, we may have to mobilise against you uh, being re-elected at the next state election on the 24th of November 2017 because it's not good enough just to get rid of level crossings and build roads and tunnels. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you want to, you know, hosting today's program, you can do a number of things. If you want to uh, contact me, you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. Make sure you leave a return number, 0439 395 489. Unless you don't want me to ring back to you. You can write to us. Yes, we still write. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can also email me at info at pibsy.net. Info at p-i-b-c-i dot net. Or you can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org, see what we're doing. Or you can go to the Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. Or you can go to my personal Facebook page, full of fascinating ideas about the things that I'm involved in. 
Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number four, the public, Toscano for the public. Now tonight, tonight on the 13th and on the 20th of, November, of December, we'll be continuing to hold the uh, dinners at the Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant at 20 Smith Street in Collingwood, across the road from the studios of Community Radio Station 3CR. Starts at around 6pm, finishes around 10pm. Join us tonight, have a discussion, have a laugh. Meet like-minded people. This is a social occasion to get listeners to come together, meet like-minded people, form friendships, and even more importantly, encourage people to become active and get involved in the various issues that we promote. Because, you know, we're not not into identity politics. We're into much, much more into radical change, radical transformation, We wish to abolish the state and replace it with a federation of community and workplace councils which are based on direct democratic principles where where wealth is held in common, which which the economic base would be collectives and cooperatives. Simple concepts. Simple concepts. Now, let's move on to something else because there's always something else. Now, Now, Mr. Dastiari... Poor old Mr. Dastiari. You know, I begin to wonder, I really begin to wonder about our political parties and the way that politics is funded. So today we're going to use the F word. Last week we used the C word, capitalism. Today we're going to use another four-letter word. Not that capitalism is a four-letter word. but The F word, funding. Everybody's jumping up and down about Chinese influence in Australian politics. The fact that all these members or or associates of the Chinese Communist Party who are, you know, getting Sam Dastiari to do their business for them. You know, we've even heard politicians use words like traitor. I wonder when Sam's going to be publicly executed, or more likely drawn and quartered. You know about drawing and quartering? It was a quite it was a punishment which was going to be meted out to the Eureka rebels for high treason because there was a punishment for high treason. It's a little bit like the Ten Commandments. I've always been fascinated by the Ten Commandments. And I think the first commandment, I haven't read them for a long time, something wrong is, they shall not hold the name of thy God in vain. So it's all about keeping the faith. It's all about following the script in the book, whether it's the Quran or the Bible or the Torah or the Hindu Vedas or whatever book you read. It's all about keeping the faith. And there's nobody worse than a renegade. So it's the same when it comes to poor old Sammy Boy. Forced to resign from the Senate, obviously he'll continue to hold his powerful factional positions in the New South Wales branch of the Labor Party, but that's a different matter. Forced to resign because Chinese influence. Ooh, I'm shocked, 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 shocked and amazed. Well, amazed and shocked. Or maybe just amazed, or maybe just shocked. Who knows? Shocked. And I could see the Fairfax media and the Murdoch media and, you know, they're all jumping in unison saying, dastardly Sam, dastardly Sam Dastiari. Sorry for the poor poetry. 
dastardly Sam Dastiara. And I'm thinking, hang on, hang on. Didn't the Liberal Party take donations from the same man? Hasn't the ALP taken donations from the same man? Don't the ALP and the Liberal National Party take, take donations from transnational corporations? As if it's all right for a national, a transnational corporation that doesn't pay tax, giving money to a major political party to fund their election campaigns and then knowing full well that that political party will never introduce legislation in Parliament, that will curtail their ability to generate profits in respect of the human, social, environmental and national costs. Let's stop this Chinese crap. What concerns me is the influence not just foreign governments have on our political system, but the influence that small section society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication has on Parliament on Parliament and the type of legislation that's introduced into Parliament. The fact that we never see major legislation introduced into Parliament which curtails their activities and makes sure they pay their fair share of tax because of the influence they hold over federal parliamentarians and state parliamentarians because of the way political parties are funded, because their membership base has shrunk so much they can't rely on their membership to fund their campaigns. That funding has to come from the corporate sector or overseas governments. That's my concern, and that should be the concern of every Australian. It should be the concern of each and every one of us. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. Now, I'd like to sing Happy Birthday. Now, I, I can't sing, you know. If you had a choice of drowning or listening to me sing, I can assure you drowning would be a much more pleasurable end than listening to me sing. But... I do need to sing today, and I need to sing to the Australian Federal Police. Now, last Saturday, I was at a 100th birthday party, yes, and I was talking to a real vanishing Australian. Now, this woman had been on the planet for 100 years, always lived in the country, born in the country, and when I got there, I was, you know, I got there a bit late, had other things to do. I thought it would all be wrapped up. There she was, sitting in the backyard, next to the barbie, with a fag in one hand and a VB in the other. I thought, that's a true Australian. So I'm not going to sing her happy birthday. We're going to, I'm going to sing happy birthday to another true Australian who's celebrating a 100th anniversary this week. And that's the boys and girls in the Australian Federal Police. That's right. You know why I'm going to sing them happy birthday? Because they need people like me to sing them happy birthday because of their origins. You remember when we all were worried about the stain on our character? I mean, I know everybody today, people pay money, you know, to find out they've got a convict ancestor and obviously all the convict ancestors were sent across here for, uh, you know, stealing a loaf of bread, weren't they? They weren't sent out here for more serious crimes. And in the 19th century, 
if you had a convict in your family, it was a stain, stain on your character. But today, it's a badge of honour. Badge of honour. So I'll tell you how the Australian Federal Police were formed on this day 100 years ago. It's very simple, very simple. Billy Hughes, the traitor Billy Hughes, who after losing the referendum, the uh, plebiscite in 1916 regarding introducing conscription into this country and he was forced to hold a plebiscite because of the possibility of open revolt among the Australian people who were sick and tired of the body count which was happening in the war to end all wars which was being fought by workers at either end of a bayonet in the European theatre in the Middle East. Well, Billy Hughes... And one third of the cabinet and one third of the Labor Party deserted the Labor Party, crossed the floor, joined the opposition, which was pro-conscription, and formed a new government. And this was after 1916 referendum. Now, you may not know this, because it's not like Anzac Day, where $100 million was allocated to you know, ensure that we all knew about what happened in the war to end all wars, a dirty little trade war which was fought for the glory of God, king and country, not democracy or freedom or equality, the type of things you expect wars to be fought for. Well, on the 17th of December 1917, a referendum was to be held. Sorry, a plebiscite. Let's get it right. There's referendums that plebiscite this surveys. A plebiscite. And that's basically something that the Parliament holds to find out the opinion of the Australian people. Now, the first plebiscite in, in uh, 19, October 1916 failed to introduce conscription. So Billy Hughes and his government had a second plebiscite lined up. And old Billy was storming the country, barn storming the country, telling people why they should sacrifice their sons on the European killing fields for the glory of God, king and country. There he was barred storming across the country. And he found himself, I think, and I stand to be corrected, I know it was Southern Queensland, I think it was in Ipswich, and he found himself at the railway station. And this bloody protester, you wouldn't believe it, you wouldn't believe it, this bloody protester threw an egg at our beloved Prime Minister, Billy Hughes, 1970, threw an egg at the traitor, Hit him on the hat. Now Billy, who was a man who stood, you know, on you know, on his reputation, not that he had much of a reputation, if any reputation, he was incensed. He was incensed. And he ordered the local police officer to arrest the protester. And the police officer bre- ble- bless his soul, may he rest in peace, said, Sorry, Billy, I don't take orders from you. I take orders from Red Ted Fyodor, the radical ALP Premier of Queensland. I don't take orders from people like you. I'm not going to arrest this bloke. And guess what? He was right. He didn't need to take orders from the federal government. Or Billy Hughes. He stood his ground and said, piss off. Maybe he supported the anti-conscription demonstrators and the anti-conscription movement. So old Billy raced back to Canberra 
and having a majority in both Houses of Parliament passed legislation which created the Australian Federal Police. From that bad egg, that bad broken egg, rose phoenix-like the Australian Federal Police, who continue to cover themselves in glory as they deal for a variety of issues. So happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. That's about it. I'm boring myself here. Okay, a bit of a history lesson. So don't forget, the 17th of December, which will be this weekend, which will be a Sunday, is the 100th anniversary of the second plebiscite where the Australian people said to the Billy Hughes-led government and the, and the national government, they said, up yours. No more Australian boys will be killed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, King and country. Enough is enough. 60,000 dead is enough. No more. The line was drawn in the sand. As in 1917 in Russia, the Russian army sued for peace and refused to fight and the, and the revolution, the Russian revolution began. It was the same in Australia. We drew, the people of this country drew a line in the sand and said enough is enough. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can access information by going to anarchistmedia.org, pipsy.net. Want to join public interest before corporate interests? Join now. Download the application form. doesn't cost a cent. You may even be part of an inclusive mass movement which will roll back the privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation tsunami, King Canute-like, we will say, go, piss off, go away. But in order to do that, we need hundreds of members. We need more members, more and more and more. So download the application form from, info, sorry, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Not computer literate? I'm happy to send you out a form. I'll even bloody put the stamp on it. And even a returned address stamp. Send it to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. So much to talk about, so little time. Now, I've been on the planet 66 years. Some people say 60 years too long. <laughs> I disagree. I'd actually like to live to 102. That's what I decided a few months ago, that I was going to live to 102. I've been to a 100th birthday party on, on the weekend and, you know, celebrating the Australian Federal Belief's 100th birthday party. Why can't I live to 102? Well, that's, we'll see. I doubt it. But I always grappled with the idea of what is an Australian? What is it that defines us? And I'm going to try to answer that question today because I've been enlightened on the road to Damascus. Enlightened. Because, you know, 
I'll be celebrating the 20th of January. I'll be commemorating the execution of Tanaminoe Mōbōhina. For years, decades, I've said that it's inappropriate that we celebrate Australia Day on the 26th of January and the day of colonisation began in this, on this continent. And I've always said, always said, that it's inappropriate that Australian honours are given out either on Invasion Day or the Queen's birthday. I've said that for generations. And I've always felt ambivalent about Anzac Day. Not honouring human sacrifice, but honouring the fact that people died for nothing. Tens of thousands, millions of people died for the glory of God, King and Country. Not something tangible like freedom or democracy or economic equality. And I've always felt, you know, really haven't felt that attraction to sport that a lot of people feel. I don't feel that attraction to the national team, whether it's soccer, whether it's basketball, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's the AFL, whatever. You know, it's always, to me, it's been a marginal activity. Sport, but it seems to be an important activity. Horse racing for a lot of people, and good luck to them. But it's not my activity. And I'm, I've been thinking, what defines us as a people? Is it our cruelty? Is it our inability to understand the reason why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders feel so marginalised and neglected? Is it to be Australian to allow the sacrifice of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents to create or to attempt to create an egalitarian community where people received a fair day's wage for a fair day's work being shoved aside during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatised revolution. Not really. And is it the fact that Australians like to consider themselves as rebels when in, in, in actual fact they are some of the most, you know, Acquiescent, all that, I forget the word, most people agree to the most horrific things. When you think about it, look at what's coming out, came out of the Royal Commission on Childhood Sexual Abuse. Look at the fact that if Julia Gillard wasn't Prime Minister at a particular point in time, there would have never been a Royal Commission under Mr Abbott. So, what do I celebrate? Because I am proud. I am proud to be an Australian. I am proud to live in this country. I'll send you fall or fall you off your seat. Because I'm not a, I'm not a cringing carping consumer. I come here every week because I think change is possible. I believe in hope. You know, the love child desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. And I think, taking a line from Gough Whitlam, my fellow Australians are essentially good people. And that, and that if given the right social and political conditions and a little bit of leadership, that we could be the greatest nation on this planet, not just a magnet for aspirational migrants who want to make a buck at the expense of everybody else. 
So what is it that I celebrate? What is it that I think gives us the potential to be a great people? Not a great nation, but a great people. And I'll tell you what it is. And to some degree, it's incorporated in the aims of public interest before corporate interest, a little political party that I've been trying to get established now for almost three years with uh, minimal success. And I've always felt that this is the essence of who we are as a people and a nation. I've always felt that we have potential because we are not burdened or need to be burdened by the cross of religious belief, the cross of nationality, the cross of racial origin, the cross of gender and sexual orientation. I think that deep down as a people we believe we would like to believe and want that human beings are born with inalienable rights and liberties no government can legislate away or corporations take away. And that's the beauty of living in this country, despite the attempts of so many people and organisations to drag us back into the dark ages where gender, sexual orientation, race, nationality, religious belief is what defined us as a community. It's the breaking down of these barriers. It's the ability of individuals within our society to be able to form a liaison, a relationship, a friendship with somebody from a different cultural background, a different religious background, different gender, orient, different gender, different sexual orientation, who speaks a different language. That ability we still enjoy in this country to break down the boundaries which divide us which continue to divide us, which organisations are springing up around this country that are based on the principle that it's our divisions which make us as a people. It's not that. It's our ability as individuals to put out our hand in any direction with the potential of somebody grabbing that hand and coming towards us and fulfilling us as individuals. To me, that's what it is to be Australian. Well, we don't have these laws which divide us on the basis of gender, race, nationality, culture, despite the efforts by governments at all levels and despite the efforts of so many community and political organisations and groups to destroy 
what is the essence of being an Australian. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this today's program. If you'd like to uh, join public interest before corporate interest, download the application form. Go to pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Haven't got a web page? Well, you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Want to learn more about anarchism? Go to anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. You can leave messages on 04. 39395489. No, I don't normally answer the phone. I'm too busy. But if you leave a message, I'll get back to you. If you don't leave a message, that's life. I assume your call's not that important. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Go to my Facebook page, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number four, the public, can see all the activities I'm involved in. I'm hoping over the next week or two to reinstitute the uh, Fort Bubbles, which I was doing in the past, but uh, because of the pressure of all the political activities we've involved in over the past few months, those Fort Bubbles have disappeared. And remember, you can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or at info at pibci.net. Go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing page. That's right. Defend and Extend Public Housing page. Uh, Join the rally today, midday, the 13th of December. And if you can't join today's rally, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, early next year, we'll have uh, all the the, uh, rallies for 2018 in place. So thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can go to the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. You can go to our webpage, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net, anarchistmedia.org, and there's plenty of other material out there. Just Google the name and, uh, hey, presto, you'll be part of a worldwide movement to change society. As I said, make a resolution now. Now's the time. Don't be a carping, cringing consumer. Become an active, radical activist in 2018. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.